All right, well, we're back in Matthew 5, just like we've been all semester. Uh, we're in Matthew 5, chapters 5 through 7. Does anybody remember what that's called? We start, Yeah, good. We started with the Beatitudes in the fall. Good. Does anybody remember what the, the greater chapters 5 to 7 is called? Yes, good. Good. The Sermon on the Mount. Good. So we're back in the Sermon on the Mount. Does anybody remember what we talked about last time we met? Yes, what in the Sermon on the Mount? We did talk about salt and light, you're right. That was two times ago, it was a good memory. Last time, what did we talk about? Christ came to... Die. He did? Yeah. He came to fulfill the Old Testament, fulfill the law. Right. So, now, after he's just said this, he's going to turn around and talk about some specific laws. So, if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Matthew 5, 21 through 26. There are also some Bibles there on the second shelf to bottom if you need one, where you can look along with the person next to you. So Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26. Now Jesus is going to start the next few passages that we see with the same phrase. He's going to say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you. Now what do you think that means when he starts it that way? Let me put it this way. If I said, you've heard it said that nobody really likes yellow starbursts, but I say to you, what am I going to say? They're Parker's favorite. They're Parker's favorite, yeah. There's going to be a contrast there, right? It's going to be, you've heard this, but let me tell you something new and different, right? Or let me, let me update what you know. So that's what we're doing in these next few passages. And we're going to start with this one in, in verses 21 through 26. And it's going to be about anger. So would you stand up as I read God's word for us? This is what God's word says. This is Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge guard you and be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is God's living and active word. Let me pray for us. Father, would you help us as we explore the idea of anger? Would you help us to see in our anger how we hurt others, how we fall short of your glory? But Lord, would you also show us that we have forgiveness and we have hope in the very one who spoke these words, our Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. So the trivia game we just played, it was a fun game, but it might have felt a little bit unfair because you, you know, you're going through the game and you're naming the artist or you're naming the song and then all of a sudden one group turns around and names the theme and they win, right? Anybody feel that? Well, what was going on in that game is an interesting dynamic, right? You have like what we might call the floor of the game, the basic, okay, name the artist, name the band, right? And then you have what we might call the ceiling of like the actual thing that you want to figure out, which is the, which is the actual theme between the songs. Sometimes we can get so lost in the name of the band and in the name of the song that we forget that we're actually trying to find that theme, right? Did any of you forget it as you were going? You're just thinking about the initial song, right? You're not thinking about the actual theme. So... When Jesus talks about things in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talks about the law and the Old Testament law, is something like this is going to happen a lot. He's going to name something that everybody knows. He's going to name a commandment. So like tonight, he named one about you shall not murder, right? And that's like the floor of the law. That's what everybody knows. 
But what he's going to do time in and time out in Matthew 5 is he's going to show us that actually what righteousness requires is way bigger than that and way more than that. Okay? And he's going to show us that in three ways. He's going to talk about what anger looks like in ourselves, what anger looks like in our friends, and what anger looks like in our enemies. Those are the three categories that he talks about. So first, what does anger look like in ourselves? This is verses 21 through 22. So look with me at what Jesus says in verse 21. He says this, You've heard it said that was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Okay, who's, who's ever heard you shall not murder before? Right? Yes. Yes. So we've heard from the Ten Commandments, right? So we've heard that. We know it's the sixth of the Ten Commandments. So we've heard that, and the people that Jesus were talking to, they were Jews that had the Old Testament, so they would know it as well, right? And Jesus is saying it results in punishment, right? But think about this. It can be really easy to think, well, I've not broken this commandment. I've not murdered, so I'm okay, right? It can be easy to think of that way. But Jesus is actually saying, actually, there's much deeper things and bigger things going on. What righteousness requires is not just refraining from murder, but actually something even bigger, as we'll see. What does he say in verse 22? Look with me. He says three things. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So the whole game just changed, right? First it was like you shall not murder, and everybody can say, okay, yeah, that's great, I've I've done that. But then when he starts to talk more, it's like, wait, wait a second, wait a second, right? First he says, anybody who's angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Notice it's the exact same phrase that he says, you know, you shall not murder, or you'll be liable to judgment. Then he just turns around and says, if you're angry with your brother... And brother is not just like your sibling, although it could definitely be your sibling, but it's somebody you're friends with, right? Somebody that you know well. And he says, you're liable to the same judgment as somebody who's committed murder. That sounds crazy to us. But second, he says, whoever insults their brother. Literally, the idea is you call him a word here that means empty-headed, okay? If you call somebody an empty head, right, it says you'll be liable to the council. Now, that's kind of ominous. Like, what's, what's the council, right? So the council here is referring to the Sanhedrin, which is kind of like the highest legal and religious court of the day. So imagine our Supreme Court, right? But imagine if they were a religious body. That's kind of what the Sanhedrin was for them. So he's saying, so he's saying okay, if I, if I say to them, if you say, if you say to your brother, you fool, right? Or sorry, empty head, then it's like you're going to be sent to them, which is crazy, right? Like, you wouldn't think if I say that to my brother or my friend, I'm going to get sent to the Supreme Court, right? That, that, that doesn't make sense to us. And then third, he says, whoever says you fool will be liable to hell. Now, this word for fool is actually where we get the modern word for moron, right? And he says, if you say that of somebody, you'll be liable to hell. Now, we just got a whole long way from murder, right? So far that none of us in this room can say that we've not done those things. Indeed, he said in verse 20, as we talked about last time, that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Yes, the law might be don't murder, but what actually is required is refraining from all unjust anger, and that is deep, deep, deep. Anger is more than just the clearly external actions that we know and see that we know are wrong, like murder. It involves not just actions, but harmful words, harmful thoughts, right? The things that we think. External actions that are angry don't just, just don't just appear one day. They come from somewhere. And Jesus is saying, actually, what's wrong is not merely the external actions, 
but all the things that led you there in the first place. So the floor of the law is murder, right? Don't, don't murder. The ceiling, though, is all hateful actions and thoughts in, in this world and words, too. One of the things that our, our confession, so we use a confession called the Westminster Larger Catechism. Has anybody ever heard of the Westminster Larger Catechism? Yeah, so it's, it's a question and answer document that talks about what, you know, what, what we believe, like statements of faith, okay? And one of the things that it does is it actually goes through and talks about the Ten Commandments. So it's really interesting reading. It will basically take a commandment like, you shall not murder, and it'll say, what's the commandment? But then it will go dig deeper and it will say, well, what's forbidden by this commandment and also what's required? So I want to read this to you, right? It talks about what are the sins forbidden in the sixth commandment? The sixth commandment is you shall not murder. But here's what it says. The sins forbidden in the sixth commandment are all taking away the life of ourselves or of others, except in the case of public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense. The neglecting or withdrawing the lawful and necessary means of preservation for life. Okay, that makes sense. That's, that's all kind of murder. But then listen to this. Sinful anger, hatred, envy, desire of revenge, all excessive passions, distracting cares, immoderate use of meat, drink, labor, and recreations, provoking words, oppression, quarreling, striking, wounding, and whatsoever else tends to the destruction of the life of any. Can anybody here say they've not done any of those things? Absolutely. No, right? Like, it's amazing just how deep this goes, right? Now... If we're honest, this should make us uncomfortable. And the reason why we want to joke about this is because we're uncomfortable. Because we see just what righteousness requires and we say, I don't have it. Right? It makes us uncomfortable. But Jesus isn't done. Right? If that's anger in ourselves, look at what he says about anger with our friends. It goes deeper. So this is verses 23 and 24. Look at what he says in these two verses. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So if the first part is about unjust anger in ourselves, the second part is not providing those that we know and love with an opportunity to be angry with us. So he gives the example of somebody going to the temple to offer a sacrifice. Why, why would they offer sacrifices in the Old Testament? Does anybody remember? What did that do for them? Right, yeah, good. It was symbolically the blood would cleanse you, and so you'd be right with God. Good. So that's why you would go. You'd go before, you go to the temple, and you'd offer a sacrifice to be right with God. Now, he's saying, though, Jesus is saying, hey, imagine you're going to do that. You're going to do this thing to be right with God, and you remember you're not right with your friend or your brother. What should you do? He says, drop the sacrifice, go back, figure it out with your friend, right? Ask for their forgiveness, and then come back. Now, Jesus says, leave the gift and be reconciled. Go work it out, okay? Here's what's amazing. He's not talking in Jerusalem when he says this. He's talking in Galilee. Does anybody know how far away Galilee is from Jerusalem? 13 miles. 80 miles. So he's saying, if you have gone 80 miles to Jerusalem, you're getting ready to offer this sacrifice to be right with God, and you realize that somebody back home in Galilee has something against you, that you've hurt them, that you've wronged them, what should you do? Drop the sacrifice, go 80 miles back, figure it out, then go 80 miles back and offer your sacrifice. That's what he's saying, right? He's saying it is that important. It is that important 
to, to not give your brother or sister an opportunity to be angry. He says it's worth that. So let me put that 80 miles in perspective to you. It's about, give or take, 80 miles to the Oklahoma border from here. Okay? Imagine walking that, right? Imagine you walk all the way to Oklahoma, and then your sibling calls you up and says, or, or you, you don't even get a call from your sibling. You just remember, hey, I called them an empty head, or I called them moron, or I did something that hurt them, right? What Jesus is saying is, drop everything and walk 80 miles back. That's why the phone Walk 80 miles back, deal with it, and then come and offer. That is amazing, right? And my question to us is this. How far do we go to try to fix things that we've made wrong with those that we love, right? Oftentimes, we don't want to do this. We don't even want to go to somebody in the same room to confess our sin to them, right? Much, much less go 80 miles, but Jesus is saying it is important not to give your brother or sister an opportunity to have the sin of anger. And so actually, you need to go and be reconciled. So I want you guys to think. I don't want you to look at anybody else in the room, okay? I want you to think about, is there somebody that you are friends with that you've hurt? Is there somebody, a sibling, a friend from school, right? Somebody that you have hurt. What would it look like to drop everything and go and be reconciled to them? What would that look like, right? That's a powerful thing, but that's what Jesus is saying to do. There's also a simple way that we do this every week. One of the things that's beautiful about our Sunday morning services is that we do a confession of sin. And there are times in the confession of sin when you realize the way you've sinned against other people, right? You're going to realize it. You're going to realize the way you've sinned against people in that room. And so one of the things you should do when that happens is at some point during that service, maybe during the passing of the peace, right? Or some, maybe even right before communion, to go and actually ask for their forgiveness, to go and make things right with them. What would it look like for you to do that? I want you to think about it. So think about that person in their head that you've wronged, that's your friend or that's your sibling. And then think about what are you going to do to go make it right? Now, notice in this, in this scenario Jesus is giving, it's you're the one who's sinned. You're the one who's done wrong. It's not that you say, I know somebody who's hurt me, so I better go figure it out with them. That's not what he's saying, right? He's saying when you've hurt somebody, to go and be reconciled with them. But Jesus goes even deeper in this passage. Third, he talks about anger and our enemies. Okay, this is what verses 25 and 26 say. Look with me if you've got your Bible. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you'll never get out until you've paid the last penny. So now it's not your friend, but rather it's your accuser. Right? What's an accuser? Yeah, somebody, maybe who blames somebody. Yeah, it's, it's like, a, think about in a lawsuit, right? Yeah, so it's like a lawsuit. So somebody basically is taking you to court over something, right? Something that you did wrong. And so they've accused you. And, and if somebody's going to do that to you and take you to court, then clearly you haven't worked it out, right? That means you're not friends. You're not close with them. But Jesus says, hey, if you've wronged them, you should still seek to work it out with them. You should still seek to be reconciled. Now, we've heard love our enemies, right? I'm sure everybody in here has heard the Christian command to love your enemies. But before that command, Jesus actually says this, right? He says, actually go seek their forgiveness. Now, that is really hard. Because we all know, and I know this, right? 
we don't like admitting we've done things wrong. We don't, right? And so we are sometimes uncomfortable about going to our friends and saying we've done things wrong. And if we're uncomfortable going to our friends, we are not going to touch our enemies, right? But Jesus is saying, actually, no, you ought to go ask forgiveness for them or else you're going to be liable to pay what you've done. Think about this. What enemies might you have, people that you don't agree with, you don't see eye to eye with, and you've hurt them? What would it look like for you to go forgive them? And that's a radical thing to do because the minute you offer somebody that kind of forgiveness, the minute you say, hey, I wronged you, you're giving them the power to say, great, or I don't care, right? But Jesus is saying, actually, you should go seek to be reconciled to those that are even your enemies. So we've seen that, that, that anger is not just not murdering, but it goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. It's all unrighteous thoughts and deeds and words in ourselves. It's trying to prevent our brothers from being angry and even our sisters and even our enemies from being angry. And the problem is, Jesus says, if you've done these things, if you've said a careless, angry word, you're liable to hell. And we've all done that, right? We all fail to seek reconciliation. We all fail to seek forgiveness. So we look at this and say, well, what am I going to do, right? I can't obey the law. I can't be as righteous as the scribes and the Pharisees. But the good news comes from the fact of the very one who's saying these words. Because Jesus is the one who has come and he has paid every penny of our debt. Because you see, Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life, right? If, if the floor is don't murder and the ceiling is all unjustly angry thoughts and words and actions, Jesus lived perfectly righteous. Something that we can't even begin to touch. He lived that life, but yet he died for us. He died the death that our sins deserve, that our unjust anger, that our careless words, that our careless actions, that our thoughtless deeds deserve. He suffered on the cross for us. And you know why he did that? He did that so that we could be forgiven. Just like he's talking about the sacrifice in this chapter about being right with God, he is the ultimate sacrifice that truly makes us right with God. And so in him, we might look at this and say, hey, I haven't lived up to righteousness. But at the same time, we can look at him and say, in him, I'm forgiven. In him, my sins are paid for. And so what actually happens then is we look at it and we say, we actually understand and we can let go of our anger in others. We can then go to our accusers and go to our brothers and sisters and say, hey, I've wronged you because we know that we truly have forgiveness because of what Jesus has done. I'm going to give you an illustration of, of how impossible this seems in reality, okay? So it was Valentine's Day recently this month, and so you always see those articles about people that have been married for so long. So there's this couple that has been married for 57 years, uh, Tony and Francis Toto, which that is a long time, right? But it's even more amazing when I tell you this. 40 years ago, Tony was unfaithful to his wife many times. And so he broke one of the commandments, and in turn, his wife was angry, and she actually tried, she hired hitmen to kill him, okay? And they tried five different times, and they didn't. They actually, he was even shot in the head, but he survived, okay? Now, that's crazy, okay? But you have two people here, right? Two people here, both of whom who have really severely broken God's law, right? And if you look at the situation from the outside, you say, even if they both survive, they're never going within, you know, 
a state of each other again, right? Here's the amazing thing. They came together and they worked it out. And they've remained married. They've been married for 57 years. Did she we'll talk about it later. For hiring, like, five she did go to jail, yes. But he bailed her out. We'll talk about this later. You can ask me, you can ask me questions later. Hey, you guys can ask me questions later. Here's the, here's the point of that story. Jackson, Sam, here's the point of that story, okay? That in, in that story, right, I don't know all the motivations for what happened. I don't know why everything happened the way it did. But the idea is that God's power to heal is that transformative, right? The idea that it could do that to even the things that seem the most broken, right? Even where we look at our lives and say, I've been angry so many times at so many people. God could never love me. God could never have me, right? God has actually come to us and offered us forgiveness in his son Jesus. And Jesus says, I've paid your debt in full. I've paid it down to the last penny. And so it's this deep love of God in Christ, which he's shown to us, which helps us in turn then let go of our anger. It helps us seek peace with those that we've wronged, even our our enemies, not just our friends. And that truly is a gift. But what happens when we chew on a text like this is the first thing we do is we say, this is really bad, right? Because the the bar for righteousness is so high. And that's something we have to see and we have to understand as followers of Christ. That is the bar of righteousness. But the beautiful thing then to see is that Christ exceeded that and has given you his righteousness. Not because of anything that you did, but out of his love for you. And that changes the way we live. That changes the way we treat one another. That changes the way we treat our siblings. That changes how we deal with anger. And that is a beautiful thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son, our Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you for the perfectly righteous life that he lived. Thank you for the death that he gave to us, that his righteous life is ours, and that he paid in full for our sins on the cross. Lord, would you transform the way that we think of one another, transform the way we think of anger, so that we might not speak careless words or have careless deeds or actions. Help us to go to people we've wronged, even those that are our enemies. Lord, help us to be transformed so by the grace of Christ that people look at us and understand that there's something different going on. Lord, would you help all of us here who are discouraged about the ways we've been angry unjustly? Lord, would you give us hope that in your spirit you are working in our lives? And Lord, would you bless us as we go from here? In Jesus' name, amen.